0: Chapter twenty three of The Flint Heart by Eden Philpotts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty three: The Fight. The Badger felt perfectly certain in his own mind that neither Flip nor Chum nor fifty such dogs would draw him, but he knew that there must be big fighting so he sent his wife and family to her mother on the other side of the moor, and told them not to come home till the evening. Mrs. Meles wanted to stop and help, but he refused to hear of it. He said that it would not be ladies' work, which was true, and he also said that he should undoubtedly kill both of the dogs when they came to draw him, which remained to be proved. He settled himself at the very end of his earth, with the flint heart firmly tied round his neck, and in the darkness his eyes glimmered green, like two fairy railway signals. His claws had been specially sharpened for the occasion, but his teeth needed no particular preparation, because they were always sharp. And then came a great yelping and snuffling from the outside and the dim light of the earth was darkened, and something began to scramble nearer and nearer. It was the valiant flip, and her eyes shone red. She went through the hall and the dining-room and the drawing-room and the nursery, and finally came face to face with the master of the house in his study. "'You insolent scoundrel,' began Mr. Meles, "'how dare you!' I say how dare you come into my house and trample about with your filthy paws as if the place belonged to you. Be off, or I'll tear you to ribbons." But Flip had not come to talk. She meant business. Behind her, in the hall, Chum was waiting. Unfortunately, despite his training, he was too stout to get farther into the Badger's house. Therefore Flip had to get Mr. Mele's all that distance single-handed, if possible. In a moment she saw the great size and fierceness of the badger, and knew that it would be a heavy task, and understood that she must expect a few pretty deep bites and scratches, even if she escaped with her life. So very wisely she wasted not a moment in conversation but just gave one tremendous growl by way of a battle-cry, and then dashed at the badger and set to work to grip hold of him and lug him out. The audience heard a dull and muffled commotion underground, and Chum kept up frantic barks of encouragement to Flip, and Ship, who had to stop outside altogether with half a dozen other big dogs, also barked and showed the wildest excitement and interest. But the struggle was so long that Charles and many of the beasts began to grow seriously alarmed. Because if Flip and Chum between them couldn't draw the badger, what would happen next? The fight was really dreadful. The badger tore and scratched and clawed and snapped and tugged, Flip bit, and worried, and gripped, and snarled, and pulled. Fur flew off both creatures, and both were nearly choked in the fury of the battle. Now Flip dragged Mr. Meleys into the drawing-room. Now Mr. Meleys made a tremendous effort and got back to his study again. The ceiling came down presently, and nearly smothered them both. But it forced them out of the study once for all and that was so much ground gained for Flip. Poor Mrs. Meles would have cried to see her little drawing-room after the fight had raged there for five minutes more. And still the battle went on, and Flip was growing weak from loss of blood, and the Badger found himself rather feeble, too. But I don't think he would have been beaten save for his enemy's cleverness. Now Flip, in a very artful manner, pretended that she had had enough of it, and everybody outside began greatly to fear for her, because she set up a fearful yelping and a howling as if the badger was eating her alive. But really this was a trap, and when Flip started to crawl away as though trying to escape, the badger, proud of his great victory, followed her to the hall intending to give the defeated enemy a parting bite on the nose. Instead, however, he got a bite himself, and it was not the sort of bite to do you much good at the end of a long and fierce battle. Before Mr. Meles could get back to the drawing-room, he had run against Chum, and in a second Chum's powerful jaws had closed like a rat-trap on the badger's right ear. Then Flip who knew exactly what would happen, got a good firm hold of the badger's left ear, and before he had time to say, Jack Robinson, he was trundled out of his house, tail overhead, upside down, and nearly inside out as well. And when he arrived in the open air, the poor fellow looked a good deal more like an old worn-out doormat than the great and important Mr. Mele's. The beasts rushed yelling and flew screaming to the spot, and it was all that Charles could do to stay them. But Ship and the big dogs acted as policemen and kept them off, while Charles did what he could for the combatants. First he looked after Flip, who was in rather a bad way and very weak, and so beaten and exhausted that she rolled over on her side and could not move for half an hour. But the badger was even worse. In fact, he fainted as soon as Flip and Chum let go of him. Then Charles did two things, both of which showed that he had brains in his head and knew how to use them. First he sent the wood-pigeon for Mrs. Mele's, because he thought that if the badger was going to die she ought to be there to say good-bye to him and next he took his knife and cut the string and removed the flint heart from the badger's neck. He then addressed the beasts, and assured them that the badger was cured, and that if he lived he would never want to be king again, and he told Ship to look after Flip, and then he directed Unity to tell Flip's master that the brave little dog was to be fed on beefsteaks for a month in order to restore her strength. And then Charles, knowing only too well that the hateful heart was beginning to do its work, set off to run as fast as his legs would carry him to the pixie's holt, for he determined to make no more trouble with the abominable charm, but handed over to the fairies once and for all. After he had gone, the badger began to feel better. He opened his eyes feebly and said, What happened? Where's my dear wife? And they told him that she had been sent for, and that he had better not talk, but lie quiet. They brought him water in a dock-leaf, and he drank, and sat up, and sighed four times, and felt himself all over. Then he tried to wash his face, and began combing his whiskers feebly. He appeared to be in a dream, and apparently had not the faintest idea of the things that were going on. "'What has occurred?' he asked presently. "'Who's been treating me like this?' "'You've been drawn,' explained Chum. "'My friend Flip has just drawn you with a little help from me.' "'But why?' asked Mr. Meles. "'What on earth have I done to be drawn?' "'A badger's holt is his castle.' You were quite out of order to do it. You had to be drawn, explained a partridge. It was your punishment. You've been behaving horribly, bullying everyone you've met, and you know it. Didn't you eat my eggs?' "'Eat your eggs? Good gracious, no,' cried the badger. "'Didn't you send me on your errands?' added the woodpecker. "'Never. I go my own errands, such as they are.' Didn't you tell me to live farther off?" inquired the fox. "'Good powers, no, of course not. I was only too proud to be allowed to reside in the same terrace with you.' "'Didn't you say that you meant to be king of us all?' asked the fox again. "'King, king, me king,' stuttered the badger, and weak and shattered, though he was, the idea evidently struck him as so wildly absurd that he laughed till he cried, and the tears made his bitten face smart most painfully. They calmed him down so that he felt distinctly better before his wife returned, and really little more could be said against him, for it was clear that he did not realize in the least what a dreadful show he had been making of himself. And When he was recovered, he insisted on going round to all the beasts, birds, reptiles, and insects, and apologizing to every one of them personally, and he sent a letter of contrition to the trout and salmon also. He could do no more than that, and, of course, everybody forgave him, except the frog, who, I am sorry to say, never would, and quite forgot his own motto of Keep cool, whatever happens. Then the badger also went to Fairyland and had an audience and expressed his humblest and deepest regret at the past. So the king pardoned him and kept him to tea, which was the proudest moment of the poor badger's life and closed the incident. But we must return to Charles, who ran without stopping to the Pixies' Holt. And soon made known his great news. He cast the flint heart down before the king, and refused to touch it. And the king, who was rather scientific, sent for his learned men and had the flint heart arranged in a bell glass. Then they exhausted the air with an air pump, and so the charm lay safe in a vacuum for the present. There, of course, it could do no harm to anybody, but the problem before Fairyland was what step to take next. You see, explained the king, the difficulty is really very great, because, do what we will, somebody may have to suffer. If we throw the charm into the air, a bird will get it. And there will be trouble among the feathered legions of the air, as the heron so grandly called them. If we fling it into the river, a salmon will get it, and between ourselves the salmon think quite highly enough of themselves as it is. It has got about among them that they are fetching three shillings a pound, and they are making rather a needless fuss in consequence, being ignorant of the laws that govern supply and demand. Again, if we fling the stone on to the earth, we shall have some fresh trouble among the beasts and if we leave it here, soon or late some fairy will be sure to get hold of it, because nature abhors a vacuum, and she won't allow us to keep even the flint-heart in a vacuum for more than a certain time. Therefore the question is, what shall we do with it?" Before anybody could make a reply, there came a messenger to the king. May it please your majesty, he said. THE HUMAN GIRL UNITY AND THE HOT WATER BOTTLE Bismarck ARE AT THE DOOR, AND UNITY WONDERS WHETHER THEY MAY COME IN. THEY FOLLOWED CHARLES AND BRING THE LATEST NEWS. LET THEM ENTER, REPLIED THE KING. I HAVE LONG WANTED TO MEET THE HOT WATER BOTTLE, AND HE MAY BE PRESENTED AT ONCE. As for Unity, woman's wit, as I have remarked on former occasions, will often solve a naughty problem when a profounder male mind utterly fails to do so. Therefore, Unity and Bismarck entered the presence. She had picked him up on her way, and they had hurried after Charles, hoping to catch her brother before he got to the Pixie's Holt, to tell him the good news that Mr. Meles was better and that flip also had almost recovered at the promise of 30 beef steaks end of chapter 23